0: Hello and I'm Annika Wills and I played Polly in Doctor Who in 1966 and you are listening to Gallifrey Public Radio.
1: is Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 481 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where if we've learned anything about marketing a podcast, you'll never go wrong with a little pop, pop, pop.
2: I'm Kier. I'm Haley. I'm Jay.
0: And I'm Julie. This week, we're celebrating the approach of the 60th anniversary year by enjoying the Who-centered biographical drama from the 50th, an adventure in space and time.
1: Now the focus of the film is the early years of the Doctor Who program, from its 1963 conceptualization by Sidney Newman to the point in 1966 where William Hartnell stepped down from the title role.
3: Most of the story centers on Hartnell, but the film also focuses on Verity Lambert, first producer of the program and first woman to produce for the BBC drama department altogether.
2: The arc follows the trials and tribulations that the creators and cast faced getting the program just off of the ground, only to quickly become a national phenomenon.
0: The movie gives both long-standing and newer viewers a look at the inception of Doctor Who, as well as an idea of how things off screen had a profound impact on what was eventually broadcast. We want to do a science fiction series. Legitimate stuff though. No tin robots
1: or BEMs.
0: BEMs?
1: Bug-eyed monsters. You know, mutations and death rays. Brains in a glass jar, that kind of crap. It's gonna run all year long. So, good-looking guy, good-looking gal, a kid who gets herself into all kinds of trouble, plus an older man, quirky, I'll come back to him,
0: They travel about space and time, getting into scrapes. That's a lovely idea. You know
1: me? Pop, pop, pop! With any biopic like this, the emphasis tends to be on the individuals who shaped this particular piece of history. So how, or I I might even just say who, was best captured for each of us?
0: I think for me, it was really, really interesting to watch Verity. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's a story of handing something like this that would be challenging, but really exciting to someone who was... Well, prepared for it, but still new to this kind of role as the head executive producer. So, I think for me, watching how she handled it, and especially in the film, seeing her growth from the beginning and then having the capstone of just it was kind of a silly moment, but the wine. And how that kind of carried her through, and just she always relied on other people to help her, but still had to look for her inner strength as well.
2: I, I will always be a fan of watching Brian Cox do anything because he's just entertaining. But as far as the the characterizations go, I I was really interested in uh in Sasha Dewan playing uh Wars Hussein because we we've actually had a chance to sit down and, and talk with Waris Hussein and you know kind of get his perspective on things and just. Seeing how how that kind of tied into the performance and things like that was, I just I found it really interesting for a uh, a person of color uh, who was also homosexual in the '60s, trying to make his way and just all of the struggles he faced at every turn. I
1: have to agree. I, I, I watching Sasha just because we were sort of dialed into his recent performances and and we sort of <laughs> used that as as one of our segues into into this particular viewing had me. Uh, attuned to his performance um, most succinctly, but just what grew out of it. And as you said, Jay, because of the fact that we've had the opportunity to, to speak with, with Wars before gives us that kind of a bookend. And, and he seemed to be at the time uh, very pleased and, and very respectful of how he was portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really have uh, a lot of the individuals who were depicted uh, in this particular feature uh, to be able to speak to about it now, so it was really, really great to to have that um, uh, that reflection on saying no. This 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 held uh, uh, relatively true and respectfully uh, uh, true to form and, and true to history.
3: For me, it was the depiction of William Hartnell. You know, it was so good that he plays the Doctor now when they want to show the First Doctor. Um, but seeing that behind the scenes, you know, him at the beginning looking for something like this, looking for an opportunity. To really do more, to step out of the character actor that he had become, and then trying to hold on to it when he's not able to anymore for for others on the production, but for himself as well because he just wanted this for so long, and he's about to lose it.
1: I wonder if because of the fact we we kept we noticed it a little bit more each time, uh, all of the the little cameos from some of the actors of the era. Carolyn you know, Carol Ann Ford makes a tiny little appearance in there as a, as a mom calling kids in to, to watch the broadcast. And you see Annika Wills at one point, uh, in one of the, the BBC parties and she's standing about midway through the crowd. And these are individuals who worked alongside Hartnell. So I wonder if there was a bit of conversation, uh, with Bradley, uh, or whether he said, you know what, this depiction is, is what I'm going to interpret from it. I'm going to put my own bin uh, on, on this reenactment. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess that I, I really want to have an interview with David Bradley now.
0: <laughs> I imagine just you can't be somebody else without at least putting yourself in their shoes a little bit. And I would think then that it's either a matter of they had footage that he could look at, the cuts that didn't make it into the screen so that he it would inform how he would play him, or something like that, where he would get to talk to people who were actually there to inform some of the characteristics or obviously they're all actors, so they could say, oh, he used to do this to make it seem more real. I I would hope so. Same thing for, did Warris talk with Sasha Dewan as well? So were they able to have a conversation so that that would feel as real as possible too?
1: Hmm. With Bradley in particular, trying to decide... When and how to represent those those little aspects of the slip, you know, when the when your when your tra- your train of thought or your memory or your 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 speech pattern just fails you for a second, and how that grew over the course of the three and a half or so years that are depicted, uh, was it's just amazing choices. Really, mm-hmm. really fascinating stuff.
2: Yeah, and from from what I've heard of David Bradley, he had a, a lot of respect for the the role and the fandom at large. So it, he really kind of tried to learn as much as he could about, uh, about William Hartnell as a person and then uh, just the history of what happened and things like that. Like he really, from what he has said in interviews, like really kind of did his homework on it.
3: It shows. Good
2: job. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so... Was this more of a history lesson for newer fans or a walk down memory lane for past generations?
1: Yes. (laughs) I know we want to say both, but because of when it was presented and and what it was a part of for 2013, I almost feel it's more of the former. This is really a matter of, you know, you're looking at Who when it was at an absolute massive peak uh, for, for modern Who. You know, coming into this, this was, you know, the 11th doctors era just running absolutely you know, hell's bells. And, and the, the marketing was massive and the, and the global reach was, was getting larger and larger by the day. And this was an opportunity to be able to say, yeah, we're, we're celebrating the, the, the 50 years of history. And aren't we proud of, of everything that's happened over that span, but here is the, here is the origin point. And here is that really rocky start and it almost didn't happen all, all these different ways. Uh, that's – I think that's – personally, I think that's a, a fascinating way to be able to take a modern fan and say, you know, you're, you're proud of what you have right now. But rather than treating it like a get off my lawn, you kids don't understand how bad we had it, it's a matter of, no, be even prouder uh, yeah. because this thing has, has taken its punches all along.
2: I also have to – I feel like we need to acknowledge the fact that it's – this is not – historically accurate. There's a lot of stuff that is very much on point. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, like David Bradley really went the extra mile to try and make sure that he was as accurate as possible, but because of the, the way that they had to tell the story and the time constraint and things like that, a lot of things got smushed down and condensed to convey the, uh, the meaning of the story and not necessarily the details. So in that instance, I feel like it, it was more of a nostalgia trip than actually an educational purpose. So, yeah, I mean, it. it's important. And I know a lot of people that got a lot out of watching it because they they didn't know these things going into it. But, I, I, yeah, I really do feel like it. it leans more towards the this was meant for people to reminisce.
0: I agree. And I also think that having something like this, even if there were people there who watched it on the TV they wouldn't have necessarily been behind the scenes or in the studio. So I think it does, it, for me, it kind of feels like it splits that. So it's not necessarily a history lesson, but more of exactly what it is, sort of like a highlight reel of the creation. Mm-hmm. And it's telling that story. But even from a, if you were there or if you weren't, it's still 50 years ago. Even at the outset. So it's, it kind of has that feel of, I guess what I'm trying to say is, even if you were there, it would still feel like a memory of not an actual piece, which is kind of what Jay is saying. But it still has that separation in time from where you came.
3: Yeah, and I, as a mostly new who person, who has started to go back? It feels like it means a lot more having seen some of that first Doctor time period than it would without it. I I wonder what it would be like as a new Who viewer without any of that exposure to William Hartnell's era.
1: Well, I, I can only make guesses, but I would imagine it would be something where it's a matter of you you sort of take mm-hmm. it on faith to 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 large part and say, okay, well this I I'm I'm assuming that this is this is as 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 close to as it was from from accounts and records as possible, um, yeah, I, I've seen some of these clips uh, from from what they keep showing on the Telesnap. So, yep, that that looks, you know, it looks like it's a it's part of. yep, I, I recognize who some of these people are and some of some of these faces, but they at least get little things like the 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 quirky description of the uh, the, the anachronistic nature of the TARDIS. Oh, it's it's, it's going to be a police box, or it's broken. Oh, this is they. They knew that they were going to do this all along. Oh, okay. Oh, regeneration wasn't something that was originally worked into the script. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so coming into it really cold like that, it's, I think that's, a, that's an interesting little eye-opener for them as well. Or would hope that it would be uh, an eye-opener for them on, on first pass.
2: Obviously, there, there was some, a little bit of wiggle room there to tell the story. What was the most surprising thing, given that this was fairly historically accurate? What was the thing that that really kind of surprised you most learning uh, learning about it as you watch this?
1: If we make assumptions that certain things are accurate in the way that they were displayed, (laughs) how slapdash the idea for the TARDIS interior design came (laughs) together. I really, I question a lot of that, but I mean, it's almost as if, oh, if we have a whole internet full of information to be able to cross-reference and check on these things, but as presented, just that scene, I think, is a really fun little diversion. Accurate or not, I don't care.
0: But then I think about how sometimes I create stuff, and I'm like, yep, that was real.
1: <laughs> and, I mean, you put me under pressure, you're going to get an uh-huh. ashtray yeah, on a spool. Uh-huh. Yep, that's what you get.
2: Yeah, it, it it's a very, uh, it, it was kind of interesting to see how that played out. I, I think that is one of the things that, as soon as this aired, people kind of went it out and we're like, no, that's that's not the case. But I mean it's it it makes sense for the time, it makes sense for what was going on, but
3: um the sprinklers going off on a sound stage, that is not something that I would expect to happen.
1: True. That we do that we do yeah. know is accurate. <laughs> that 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 studio location was riddled with problems and the fact that they had to get so much equipment in there to a place that was already janky wiring, janky plumbing, janky heating. Janky everything. Just jank. Just altogether jank. It's an amazing feat. And I think that's one of the reasons why when they were showing that whole sequence and Morris's head just getting lower and lower <laughs> to the desk. Until
2: he was finally just like completely face planted on the control board. Yeah. You mm-hmm. you could feel that. That's it. That? I think for me, the uh, I didn't realize how difficult it became with uh, with William Hartnell. Yeah, you know, like I everything I knew about him basically came from watching episodes of who. So the little like missteps or things like that, I thought, yeah, it's just little idiosyncrasies of the character kind of thing. But I didn't realize that it, it, towards the end, it, it did become so difficult. And that was, that was kind of surprising to me.
3: Uh, One of the things that I don't know if that's, like I could see this as being a historical inaccuracy, but him being the only one that knew how to make the glass thing go up and down <laughs> because so much of the production staff had changed.
1: I don't know about that one, but I wouldn't put it past him. I don't know if I'd want him crawling around in the the wiring, yeah. down in the electricals. but Where, yeah. there,
3: where yeah. there's clearly a bunch of loose wires just hanging around down there. You don't think it's a good clearly. idea? Clearly. <laughs> yeah. uh, that one I for sure feel like is sort of
0: a sum up a lot of what happened into a moment mm-hmm. rather than accurate, but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I could see it being true.
1: Could have been just a creative embellishment. It could have been something where, because the, the idea of, of wanting as an actor to know these are going to be my locations for the controls around the console. You know, the, the kids are going to notice the fact that I don't use the same lever to open the doors from one week to the next. They're going to pick up on that. Absolutely mm-hmm. true. I know that I've, I've heard multiple accounts that multiple individuals who have played the title role have said that they want, if there wasn't, if there weren't literally labels on the console, of which there were quite often, they, they wanted to, to have those things mapped out. Peter Davidson had said the same sort of thing that he always wanted to reach for the same fiddly bits and so on.
0: For me, I think that's part of... I don't think it was a surprise, but the insistence of having the tactile... References? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it's like muscle memory almost. The,
0: yeah, yeah. The the I go here and I say these types of things. But for me, also, seeing anything from that era where it's like tight cuts and you only have so much film, I know these things because it's it, how TV and recording has developed over the ages, but seeing it from this side of the camera where it's like, nope, you that was our cut for the day. Everything else just stays. I don't. Again, I don't know that it is necessarily a surprise, but for me, seeing that is always the thing that amazes me the most about acting back in the day because you don't get to do it 500 times and they pick the best, ooh, ah, you get what you get and then it goes live broadcast. So, I yeah. I like seeing that part of the history of how that developed
1: the the insistence on the on the rebroadcast um after mm-hmm. the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, and and going to the mat for that in in wanting to make sure that the audience had another opportunity to see the episode that they very likely missed um was a was a great sequence to uh, to include uh, again, you know, really, really strong moment for for Barrett in particular, but it tees up the one of the scenes to follow. Then when you're talking about the when the num- when the numbers come in, mm-hmm. you know, and you're talking 10 million, and 10 million even at the time, and you say, oh well, you know, how do those numbers stack up against Monday? Well, current viewing, like power of the Doctor, uh, after all of your, you know. Um, you know, global uh, distributions and streaming numbers and things like that, you're still coming in at like 5.6 million. Mm-hmm. So, a 1963 native broadcast audience just at home, picking up 10 million, it's just absolutely astronomical.
0: Because they had time during the first episode to go out with their little hair rollers on and get the kids home <laughs>
1: yeah, before it. the second one yeah, aired. You gotta just gotta chase them all in. <laughs>
0: Is there another point in Doctor Who production history you'd like to see a biopic like this one done for?
3: I mean, all of it, but <laughs> I think specifically the 96 movie, just like another point of like relaunching the franchise. I think that would be a really interesting time period to see. Funny
1: you mention that because you've got uh, the the Jacobs created, uh, Mark Jacobs created the uh, Doctor Who Am I? Uh, that's a documentary. But you know we've been, we've been following this uh, for years of picking up uh, convention footage mm-hmm. and talking to Paul and, and, uh, and talking to EG and talking to Daphne and, and even Sylvester and and going through and, and seeing what that process was. I don't know how much of it balances between how did it get made or or how did it come to be and how did it actually get Made, we know a lot about how it got made because we get all the recounts from the cast and crew about you know their lives in Vancouver and and filming the thing. But the decisions behind the office, I'd, I'd be really curious to see what Mark Jacobs brings to that documentary. So we, you get your wish on that one.
3: Who do they get to play young Paul McGann? Old Paul McGann. I. The, <laughs> they just get it back in.
1: There. I refuse to let anyone else do it.
0: I. I would still watch it and just put all these other young actor lookalikes and then there's just Paul McGann in the middle.
2: I I would probably say if like I was about to say like I want all of it, but I think the it's hard for me to pick because I want to see some of this the behind the scenes stuff when Tom Baker was the doctor, because I feel like that's really <sighs> when they were like hitting their stride. It was a whole thing. I want to see some of that, but I think the more compelling time frame to look at would actually be the revival when RTD was pitching the show coming back in, in 2004.
1: And I would almost go the morbid route. It wouldn't be entertaining on a massive scale, but I just want to know, I would want to know what was happening within the waning years of, uh, uh, Jonathan Turner's run and, and them deciding when to shut the lights off Mm. for a little while. I, I, it it would not be happy feels uh, at all. Uh, so I don't think it would make for very good drama, more of a tragedy. But I just want to know. So morbid curiosity, I suppose.
0: Well, then the only thing left for me to say is I want to know what was going through production's heads when TV went from black and white to color. Mm. Because before, and they even mentioned it in this one where... Oh, this is also beautiful, it's too bad no one else can see it yeah. in color. So <laughs> on the set ha- of
1: Marco Polo, which when you see the the photos from it was gorgeous.
0: Yeah. So I wanna see what did they did they change anything on purpose? I know that some of the doctor's outfits became a little extravagant afterward, right? But what about the set changed? Did they have to make adjustments for the, you know, grayscale Shifts, things like that. It would be interesting just to understand some of that behind the scenes and more this type of just tell the story, don't do it documentary style. Well, you see over here, we did this and X, Y, Z, but the just let's watch them deal with life as if it's like a game show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I will say that all in all, I, I love this movie. I love everything that went into it. You can tell that it is just a it, it's a huge love letter to the show in general. and i'd I had forgotten about the button with Matt Smith at the end. And as soon as I saw him on screen, i will I will admit it got very dusty in the room very quickly.
1: <laughs> so listeners, just note that this is Jay showing uh, and admitting to emotion from a Mark Gatiss pen. It's true
0: happy emotion yeah yeah that's the cool. happy well, emotion exactly. it always generates emotions exactly.
1: these are ones on the happy yeah. end of the scale unprecedented
0: i wish they did more of this kind of biopic for other shows as well i just, i like the storytelling aspect of it
1: yeah we we get special features and things especially on like the blu-ray and the dvd releases where you get interviews and that's always great i'm not going to say that those aren't enjoyable to be able to get a fuller story but having it done dramatized like this is that much more in certain respects because we're so accustomed to the escapism. Just tell me a story yeah you know I, I i like hearing the extra the the extra details that I would get as if I was sitting in a convention panel and asking just the right questions, but nonetheless I'd still like to have a an entertaining story with a with a- great score behind it too. <laughs>
0: I'm always a fan of show me, don't just tell me. Mm. So that this really lends itself to that.
1: Everything we're about to speak about has been brought to you by Dr. Who magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: when you got a good source, you go with it.
1: As yeah. Um, that's that's going to be most of their releases from this point on. They're going to change the cover a little bit and have a couple of little interesting trivia uh, things in the columns. But everything's gonna, just going to be. Can we just get another interview with him, yeah, please? Right. Can we just one <laughs> one more? I have more questions to ask him.
2: So where where do you want to start? I mean, I th- since it's the most recent on on everybody's mind, the the regeneration into the tenant. And I mean, one of the things that everyone has brought up at some point is. Why did the clothes regenerate? They've never done that before. And NRTD actually uh, addressed this issue.
1: It comes from a, a, a common sense and very real and very personal place. Obviously didn't want uh, the general media to to run with a photo of a six foot something uh, man wearing Jody. I think Jody stands at about five feet foot seven or so. I think we looked this up and it was just like five, seven, five, eight or so. Um, And just wearing um, ridiculously uh, outsized or off-sized women's clothing and having it be some sort of a, a a take on or a poke in the, in the eye of, of, of drag or, or the trans community or anything of that sort uh, of which he has the utmost uh, respect and care for. So, I absolutely get where it's coming from.
2: And after reading this quote and everything, it's like, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. uh, Like I was willing to accept the, it's like, oh, the, they had already put away the costume because filming was done. And like, I was like, all right, I I guess that makes sense from a practical standpoint, but hearing this, it's like, okay, they actually put thought into this. It wasn't just a, it's already in the box and we'd have to undo the tape and everything. And it's just not worth the hassle. Like this, I am, I'm okay with this.
0: Yeah, not just an inconvenience for it, but an actual mm-hmm. reason.
3: Yeah. I, my only thing is, like, I like knowing that they were probably going to have her regenerate into a man, thinking it was going to be Shooty, not actually being Shooty, being David Tennant instead, why wouldn't they just keep her in, like, the costume that the master doctor had been wearing, which could have then worked, and then you don't have to regenerate the clothes? But that's fine. I, I do think it makes a lot of sense to not have Tennant in her costume. Also, like, it, it's only going to play as comedy if he's, like, about to hulk out of it.
0: I think that the story would have felt weird if she didn't change back into her yeah. clothes because mm-hmm. it was on her own terms and it would have been her giving into what the master had changed right. about it because it, that was, like, super piecemeal. I'm all the doctors. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think we just had Sasha changing or the regeneration into Sasha where he was wearing the clothes. So then right. you would have had that twice and he wore them yes. quite yeah. well.
1: Yeah, <laughs> as we discussed, yeah. Because comparable size and he could just pull it off.
0: Especially the ear jewelry, right? Like, yeah.
1: But you want that iconic regeneration moment to see her out in her garb right? That that's her golden glow moment, literally. So, um, where it goes from there, you know, do it, do what you want with it. Another point that we got from that interview was the, the fact that the specials that we'll be looking for that are all going to be crammed in to a matter of about a month and a half uh, of total broadcast time in 2023 are each going to be a full hour long. Um, Maybe not right on the button, 60 minutes, but it could be you know, 59, 62, so on. Um, it would be great if they did it. 63, 63, 63. This is our anniversary year. But maybe he did. I'm sure they're not done editing yeah. yet. Hey, Russell, do it at 63. 63 is a great number. Yeah. But does that feel like an, enough? Well, no. Is, is it ever? No,
3: they they should just do like 14 one-hour specials.
2: There you go. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> episode, episode, episode. <laughs> I, I think g- uh, given that we were given how little we've gotten over the past few years and the fact that we were only expecting a 60th anniversary special, the fact that we are getting three hour long specials is like, okay, now we're, we're actually getting stuff. I'm excited about it. So I'm, I'm not going to look this gift horse in the mouth. I am just excited for more who.
3: I think three hours is a good amount of time to tell a single encapsulated story, Mm -hmm. which is what I would assume they're trying to do. So that, but maybe not. Um, And so I I think that's enough time.
1: I guess it depends on how interconnected these stories are really going to be. Because I guess from one of the original ideas, we'll get to that in in just a second, of, of when these ideas were kind of popping in in Davies's head was almost a big finish-esque, the, the lost adventures kind of thing between these two. And if that's the case, then you would have said, oh, well then you could just, yeah, you could just pick up the needle at the end of one and, and, and a couple of weeks later you get another hour and it's another little adventure. And when you get the third one, oh, by the way, ooh, surprise, there's a regeneration at the end of the thing. <laughs> But now I wonder whether it's something because it, also because it's, it's coming in such a little tight framing on the calendar from midish November or so to I guess they're saying that the third one's going to drop right around the holiday season whatever they whatever you consider the holiday season to mean if that's Christmas or New Year's or somewhere in between um, then yeah um, a sort of an interconnected tale of him just figuring out why do I look like. just two, Uh, two hours and 45 minutes of him going what and then 15 minutes of regeneration
0: i don't think that you get the big name directors that you have without having some differences in the stories that they're trying to tell i don't necessarily think it's going to be all split three separate Pieces. It may be more like the flux feel where you've got an overarching story and there are chapters in it Mm -hmm. because otherwise you get Rachel Talalay to record for you three hours and you break them up and air them at different days.
1: Mm. I I think it's unusual that they're all they're all uh, give or take an hour. You almost want to say wouldn't the first one be a little bit longer because there's all of this figuring out to do. Maybe the second one's a little shorter and it's just a little romp adventure. And then the third one's a little bit longer because you've got so much you've got to get.
0: That's why I feel like you're going to have an encapsulated beginning, middle, end of each Mm. that somehow has a beginning, middle, end of three. I'm I'm going
2: to put my quarter down and say that it's it's likely that we're going to get the 60th anniversary special, uh, which is going to be its own little thing. And it is going to tee up and cue into... A two-part special that's going to hit Christmas Day and New Year's Day.
1: Okay, that would work, sure. Uh, because of actually when they fall on the, on the calendar, isn't uh, aren't they both on? They're either both on Saturdays or both on Sundays this year.
3: Both on I mean, Sunday.
2: Or I mean, next year.
3: Next. Oh, year? oh wait, next year. Uh, I was only thinking of this
0: year. Next
2: year. I can't be bothered to open my calendar.
0: Wouldn't that mean <laughs> next year it's going to be?
2: It would be a day. Yeah,
0: They're both Monday. So no. Uh, Sunday airings, so maybe on the, the eaves. eaves.
1: That'd be great. Do it all on the eaves. That that's still kind of cool.
0: I ain't. What what's that quote? I ain't poking no eaves. <laughs> I ain't dropping no eaves. I ain't dropping no, I ain't eaves. Dropping
1: no eaves. But yeah, that's something. You got the whole family home. They're all you know ready. They're for already the next in a celebratory mood.
2: Um, like, <laughs> yeah, probably half in the bag.
3: <laughs> all in the bag.
0: It's still better though. than
2: like the the hangover experience we've gotten in the past, like you know, few years. Uh,
0: yes. I don't want to bet against you, Jay, but I don't want to wait that long in between and then get two real fast. I would rather have, if we're going to take a couple of months, I want one at the beginning, one in the middle, one at the end so that you can enjoy each one mm-hmm. and not feel like I got to rewatch this one again and again. And then I only get to watch the middle one once. And then no,
2: see that. That's the great part though. is like, we get the, we get, 60th anniversary Christmas New Year's and then series 14 starts in like April it's gonna work out but
3: what, what I, w- I mean I believe you I think you're right but I would I still want more time Did what I want, want is time? I want to know the air date at least a month before the air date you what
0: <laughs> because
1: look look at all the stuff we're discussing right now that isn't for our calendar year, and we know so much.
0: <laughs> Haley, that's asking a lot. Right? <laughs> Normal shows don't ever tell you when they're going to air. They just show up on TV.
1: <laughs> you find out
0: after it's finished what the air date is. Welcome. You could have watched this yesterday, but now it's today.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> yes. age of showmanship
2: has returned.
0: It has returned, I believe that we will so know. The,
2: the last bit of news we have is uh, RTD actually talked about like what his decision process was in coming back to the show and it really has to do with uh, a, a lot of the, the Doctor Who tweet-alongs during lockdown.
1: Yeah. I mean, we had these opportunities to do these great little rewatches and, and gather cast and crew together to be able to not only enjoy the episode sort of live as viewers, but to be able to reminisce a little bit and riff on the memories. And the chemistry during one of these, uh, probably fires a Pompeii. Hey, I would I would wager, Having Catherine and David and Russell on the call uh, and a few others as well just stoked this nostalgia within him. And Russell said, well, I'd love to just, I just want to do like just a little special, but I don't want to bother Chris Chibnall because he's super busy right now working on his final season. I'll just do a complete end around and go right to the BBC director of drama and, and say, hey. If you if you want to let me.
0: From what it said, though, it was actually kind of one of those text chains where he's like, wouldn't it be great if? And then Catherine <laughs> said, it would be. And then she went and messaged David. And then he came back and said, yeah, let's do it. And then it became a responsibility for Russell to do. Like, I now have it. actors who would like work. I must get them work. This must be a thing. And then did that sort of, let me let me just uh-huh. go talk to the powers that be and see where yeah. we can fit this in.
1: And they took that seed of an opportunity and said, oh, no, no, let's grow a whole new era out of yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> let's break great, all the nerds. <laughs> he's getting almost the entire production band back together. Like his production team looks awfully familiar. <laughs> really familiar. Like the only thing we don't know right now is the composer effectively.
0: I have a guess. But so, I mean, I, I know, I know who's waiting outside that door just playing the piano like, <laughs> I have music for you. <laughs> I
1: still have all my presets on the keyboard. My MIDI settings are all the same. I don't know. Even, well, I think we're getting way off the, off the topic here, but if they had Murray back in, would they ask him to tone it down a little? No. Nope. say, look what Segun's been doing for nope. the last, Oh.
0: Just do, let him go.
1: Here's <laughs> your, your poundy drums are over there. Uh, your big squealy horns are over there.
0: Whatever it was, I'm glad that we have positive things coming off of the years of pandemic that allowed for creativity to blossom and people to get back together. Because as things start to open up... Wh- I, we look back and remember that those were really hard times, but seeing those little seeds of hope come back out and start to grow is really great.
1: Taking something that literally forced us all apart uh, gave opportunities for certain things to come together. And that's, that's a really fascinating
2: balance. Also, I'm just excited about the fact that we have stuff to talk about it's Weird, <laughs> right? more than like a, a week beforehand.
1: But as follows pattern, imagine what's going to be dropping tomorrow morning after I'm done editing this. (laughs) We'll know our new composer. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Murphy's Law.
3: Somebody go check Murray's Twitter feed right now. (laughs)
1: Murray's (laughs) Law. Murray's (laughs) Law. Oh, yeah. This (laughs) in-studio high-five brought to you by (laughs) podcast.
2: Next week, we're going to be coming back with our uh, a Sarah Jane rewatch, uh, The Temptation of Sarah Jane Smith.
1: Because she's been reminiscing about her childhood even more, and we know the trickster is back. So what could possibly go wrong?
2: Well, this has been episode 481 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next time, this is Jay saying, you know, I I would love to see Shooty in in Jody's uh, outfit just to see what – I think he'd look fantastic. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And this is Kier saying,
1: I know we've done episodes where we come up with drink specials for each of our characters and things, but I'm really wondering if the Sidney Newman is just piss and vinegar.
0: Ew. <laughs> this is Julie saying, what the hell is that, Kier? A sink plunger and an egg whisk? I guess, can you just go make
3: pancakes or something? <laughs> and this is Haley saying, you're just what this place needs, someone with piss and vinegar in their veins.
2: We'll see you next time. Nosey.
3: Cheers. Bye.
2: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey public radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or just send us a good old fashioned email to feedback at gallifrey, You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. is copyright 2022. See you next week.